0: If you take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis chapter 13 this morning, Genesis chapter 13. In 1846, scientists were attempting to find a planet. They found the planet of Uranus and they were trying to find uh, another planet. You say, well, why did they know there was another planet? They had done some calculations at looking at the, the planets that were going out and, and realized there were some mathematically, gravitationally, some weird things going on which would require another planet beyond where Uranus was at. They were so confident that they began looking in certain sections of the sky that uh, they said the planet has to be there. By our numbers, uh, we haven't seen it yet, but we're going to find it. And so finally, on the night of September 23rd, uh, 24th, uh, almost 175 years ago, they found what we now know as the planet Neptune. It is a planet that that at that time they couldn't see very well. They knew nothing about it. Uh, They eventually discovered that, oh wait, it's got a a moon going around it. And so they uh, were able to at least see that much with the technology of the day. Soon, after, well, soon afterwards, almost 100 years later, they found out that there was another moon going past that planet. And then eventually, when Voyager 2 went past it in 1989, they realized that not only did it have five more moons, that it actually had rings going around it. See, these individuals knew that there was a planet there and acted by you know, spending nights looking at certain sections of the sky. They were confident that something was there. Then it eventually became visible and over time it became more and more visible uh, to them and all the features. In fact, we we think of Jupiter having this great spot that goes around on that. Neptune's got a great big dark spot that goes around it or a series of storms. We, We know more about it. It's more clearly seen over time. What you have is similarly in the book of Genesis is an individual by the name of Abraham who is beginning to see God more and more clearly. His plan, his ideas, that uh, promises that God has for him, uh, though God is not seen, God had communicated, uh, but there were certain things in Abram's life that were hard to imagine. God had promised him, "You're going to have children." And that from you, there's going to be a great nation that's going to happen. Many people, as we see, and even in the passage we read this morning, that are going to be is the number of the dust of the earth. That You're going to have children. But here he is, a 75-year-old man, and he has not seen children yet. He's also told that he's going to have a land for his, his family to live in. A land that God brought him to here, we know it is Canaan. But this land that he was brought to, and the Lord said, "This is going to be your land." But Abram's one who's living in tents, wandering from place to place, no permanent dwelling. But as you go along, you find uh, many times that Abram's faith is continued to be strengthened. Though he doesn't see God's plan, he knows it's going to happen. And he has faith in this, and he trusts God. And this story in Genesis chapter 13 is just the start of Abram coming to a full faith in these things that God had promised to him, though he could not see them. He knew them to be true, and he acted upon them. And what we're going to to do this morning is that we're going to just simply, if we were to title this uh, passage, it would be simply this, Seeing God's Plan Through the Eyes of Faith. Okay, it requires faith sometimes to see what God's doing. And what you have uh, in this story, and we have to kind of do some recapturing of where we were at a month ago and looking at this passage, is that Abram had gotten himself in trouble. He'd come to the land... He had set up uh, several places where he worshipped God. Uh, he proclaimed the name of God. He made God known to this, this pagan culture, the Canaanites. Uh, and he establishes this. But the first sign of difficulty that happens that we know of is a famine that's in the land. And so Abram goes to Egypt. He goes to this place that God did not tell him to go to. In fact, as we read the this, this story in Genesis chapter 12, God's not in that story until... Halfway through it, where God finally has to step in and rescue Abraham. Abraham lied about his wife. He said, she's my sister, which uh, she would have been some relation to him. uh, So it would be a partial truth. But Sarah was was his wife. Pharaoh takes uh, her in and has a, a plan to marry her. And Abram says nothing. God has to step in. Rescue Abram. Even though he is uh, shamed by the Pharaoh and sent out of the land of Egypt, God at least protects Abram from being destroyed. I mean, how can you have a great people if you've been killed? And so Abram comes back to the land, and we read last time that Abram gets himself where he needs to be at again. Because when he comes back to the land and we followed out the story, we found out in verse number 3 that he went on his journeys back to Bethel, and there he went to the place where he had set up an altar before where he had worshipped God and proclaimed the name of God, declared there is a God. In the a culture of Canaanites who had multiple gods and all of them uh, in their ways, gross, violent, immoral, here's a God that uh, Abram proclaims. He comes back and he's back to where he needs to be at, in the center of the land where God said, you're going to have this land, and he is proclaiming the name of God abraham has gotten his attention back to where it needs to be at instead of looking at his circumstances and looking at everything else he comes back to where he was at before he's worshiping god has a firm trust in him he's right where he needs to be at but what we sometimes forget when even a person is a follower of god that that does not free us from conflict there are some people who think well if i just become a christian become a follower of god i put my faith and trust in him that nothing will go wrong the story that we have here in genesis chapter 13 is a a conflict that comes up between abram and lot the one you wouldn't expect the problem to come from and we need to stop for a second here and just talk about abram and lot and who these individuals are Because in this book, in Genesis, we're going to see Abram and Lot in chapter 13, chapter 14, chapters 18 and 19, there's a comparison between them. It's an intentional comparison. Now, some might think the comparison is this, that Abram was a follower of God and he was a great man. And you have Lot, who was a despicable individual, a man who chooses to go and live in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, who is a one who gives up his daughters, eventually ends up fathering his own grandchildren. You go, that man is obviously an unsaved man. So what we have is a contrast between one who's a follower of God, loves God, And one who is just a sinner and doesn't see things the way uh, that uh, Abram sees it. He's a man of the world, he lives like a man of the world, and that's it. Problem is, that's not what the Scripture tells us about Lot. For us, as you look at the Scripture, Lot was a man that at least had enough faith to come with Abram to this land of promise abram was told by god this is where i want you to go and out of all the family members only his nephew lot went with him to this land of promise so initially there is this faith lot believes god this is the place where the family ought to be at this is where they should be at and so lot is a man who shows himself to be a man of some faith but people struggle with the fact. I don't believe that a or excuse me, Lot is what we would call a saved individual. Abraham, yes. We're going to get to Genesis chapter 15. And there's going to be a passage there where God tells Abraham certain things about his family and his line in the land. And it says this in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted or reckoned unto him for righteousness. He had a righteous standing before God because he had faith in what God said. And as you look at the New Testament, and you've got multiple passages in the New Testament that show that to be an example of what saving faith is like. That a person is saved by having faith in what God has declared. And they get a righteous standing from God because of their faith in what God says. Abraham is a, an example throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, of someone who has faith in God, has a standing before God that is righteous but you wouldn't think that about lot the problem is is that the you know you're not the problem but the the answer to this if we didn't have all of the scripture would be that yeah you know, lots a kind of a, a bad man but do you realize that lot was a righteous man you go really i want you to turn over to second peter chapter two 2 Peter chapter 2 is a passage of scripture that is designed to show that uh, those that teach false doctrine, teach false things, uh, will be judged by God, that uh, they will not continue on in what they're doing, that it's not a possibility uh, that they will. But in the midst of this, that God rescues people out of the judgment that God has for wicked individuals. And as you read through the, the passage, you have different individuals who are delivered. Okay, verse four, you have, uh, or verse five, excuse me, that you have the old world, but God saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the ungodly, the world of the ungodly. You have a story there where the whole world is judged, Noah is saved. You go, why? Because he's a man who walked with God and had faith in him. He had a right standing before God. Or then you go further. In verse 6, And God, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Okay? People who don't have God. They don't live as God exists. They don't believe He exists. They don't care that He exists. Okay? That's what uh, the the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was filled with. People who ignored God. But in in contrast to this, verse 7, and God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse 9 The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished. Three times in that passage, it uses terms that is used to describe individuals that have faith in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Just, which is another word for right or righteous. He's a righteous man, a righteous man. Three times in two verses, Lot is described as a person who has a right standing before God. Now, eventually we'll look at this passage in more detail, especially when we get to Genesis 19. But understand this, that Lot is in that city, and you say, well, he's, he's doing stuff that, you know, I'm not sure a person who has a righteous standing before God, a saved man, as we might use in, uh, in modern vernacular, that he's doing that I can't believe that a saved person could be doing. And you're going, well, look at what it describes him as. He's an individual who is vexed There's two words for vexed. Verse 7, he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the lifestyle of the wicked, and then he was vexed in the seeing and hearing from day to day of their unlawful deeds. He's worn down and tortured and bothered by what's going on around him. You go, okay. So in looking at the story of Abram and Lot, we're not looking at a saved person and an unsaved person see what are we looking at In in our statement we would say this we're dealing with two saved individuals we're going to see lot in heaven we're going to see abraham in heaven so we're dealing with two saved individuals but in this story in genesis it's it's a story to show that even amongst people who have saving faith in god that they will act differently they can act differently in their lives abraham and lot are a contrast through and through but they're both righteous so when we come to this story i want you to turn back to genesis chapter 13 don't think that we've got this this separation of a unsaved man from a saved man or that type of thing no this is two individuals their family they have faith you know lot had enough faith in god to believe what he said go to the land of promise he did this uh that was a saving faith gave him a righteous standing before god But what happens here? You have this conflict that happens between them. When Abram comes back from the land of Egypt, it's described that he is, verse number two, very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And you say, well, what's uh, so impressive about that? Well, understand, he was rich in, we knew this before, wealthy, or that word rich is the idea of, uh, oftentimes translated glory, or the idea is heavy, okay you say if you give somebody respect you're saying they're a weighty personality they're someone who's worthy of uh, the weight of the respect they receive so it is abram's weighty in camels or excuse me in cattle in silver and in gold back in that culture if you had a lot of cattle you were wealthy and you know, we don't think of that today you don't know, think of farmers as being wealthy individuals but back in that culture if you had a lot of cattle you were a rich man but Abraham's really rich. You know why is that? He's got gold and silver. Understand back in that day, you did most of your stuff through trading, not through gold and silver and they didn't have coins and that type of thing going on back at this time. But if you had gold and silver, you had something that n- most people did not have. You say how did he get this? Now, it was through the fact that Pharaoh was giving him things to leave But whatever the case is, he comes back, and he's a very wealthy man, and he's got a lot of cattle. But you have the other side of the story, verse 5. Lot also went with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents. He's not an unwealthy individual either. He's got a lot of cattle, a lot of people working for him, a lot of tents. And the conflict comes up, and we, we read this morning, it's this, is that they cannot find enough Land to sustain their animals. If you've ever been in the land of Israel, you realize that it is a place where water is a great commodity. It's hard to find. As you read through the story of Genesis, continuously they're digging wells. You go, why? Because water is not a regular thing for most of the year. You don't get rain to find water sources uh, is a very difficult thing uh, it could be over water sources it could be over green grass it could be over a lot of things but whatever the case is lots herdsmen and abram's herdsmen are angry with one another because it's this, simply this they think they found a place to be at and suddenly abraham's uh uh shepherds and herdsmen show up and then abram's in a certain location and suddenly realize, wait a second lots just over the other side of the hill his animals and we're not told that there were fights uh, but it does seem to be quite strong the strife verse 7 between the herdmen of abram's cattle and the herdman of lot cattle there could have been fights physical fights we're talking about here and you have this little statement in verse number seven and you go why in the world is this here and the canaanite and perizzite dwelled in the land You know, they're fighting amongst each other for for this land. And oh, by the way, there's Canaanites and Perizzites. There's two reasons for stating this. Not only is it Lot and Abram looking for good land, the Canaanites and Perizzites are looking for good land. Besides that, it's this. Here you have Abram and Lot who are supposed to be brothers one who's proclaiming the name of God, and you have Canaanites and Parasites who have no idea who God is and are watching these individuals fight it out, and they're not, well, any different than the Canaanites and Parasites. They fight over stuff like this. They get angry. They have temper tantrums. They get into fights and strife. They do these type of things. And so what's going on here is there's a testimony issue here. Not only that there's a lot of people competing for the land. Here you got Abram and Lot who should be Together on this, and they're not. And so you have this conflict that takes place, and you then come to verses eight and nine. You have a choice. You look at the story here, and Abram is the one who starts this off, and he says in the lot, "Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between mine herdmen and thine herdmen, for we be brethren. We're, we're brothers. You know, I'm your uncle. We're family." verse number nine is not the whole land before thee separate thyself i pray thee from me if thou wilt take the left hand then i will go to the right if thou depart in the right hand then i will go to the left see what happens here is quite uh i would say kind good unusually fair on abram's part Abram's the elder he is the head of the family he could have very easily said to Lot you're going to go here I'm going there and in that culture he would have had a right to declare this and Lot would have had to follow after that but Abram in this is a gracious individual and he just simply says if you take what's on the right hand I'll go left if you take what's on the left I'll go to the right." And so here is uh, what happens is this, is that you have this choice that is given to Lot, and you have suddenly a discussion about eyes and looks. See, when you have the story, verse number 10, it says this, suddenly after this gift is given, the choice is, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar, and Lot chose him the plain of Jordan. You know, what happened here? Well, it has to understand, and and for me, it it took me a little while to understand this, but uh, what happens is this. In that culture, they don't judge directions by the way we do. If we were to map things out, we typically look at a map and go, where's north? Where's east? Where's west? Where's east? Where's west? Where's south? In that culture, they judge direction by the rising of the sun, that was the point they started with and so they would have been looking to the east and abram would have simply said this if you go to the south for your directions if you go to the south i'll give you the south i'll go to the north if you go to the north i'll go to the south well here's the issue they're standing there facing east abram has given this choice to him north or south your choice and lot looks directly out this way and he goes i want that over there so it's not even a part of the choice he looks at the plain of jordan and as he looks at this this is a place outside the boundary lines of what god had laid out for abram would be part of the land when they were looking for sodom and gomorrah people go where's sodom and gomorrah i have no idea And if you want to get into big discussions with people in archaeology, you can ask them because they have multiple locations where they think Sodom and Gomorrah may have been at. Northern part of where the Dead Sea is at, in where the Dead Sea is now, on the south end of the Dead Sea, they don't know. But whatever the case is, that valley of the Jordan River at that time was a lush place. You go there today, it's the lowest point on the earth. It's oftentimes well above 100 degrees all the time it's one of the hottest places on earth but back then it was well watered and you say what was it like it was like the garden of eden i mean that's the term used here it's like the garden of eden you go well what would that have been like green lush you know it's like egypt well if you ever seen a map of what egypt is like from space you go what do you mean well you've got this whole miles upon miles of sand and then you look and there's this green thing going down on the map you go what's there the Nile River and everything along the Nile River is lush well watered green uh, and so it's a healthy place to be at the life of Egypt is that river uh, because it gives them all that they need and so you have these, these statements here, this is what it's like, and he looks over there and goes, I don't want any of these, I want that. You go, what's the problem with that? It's either on the edge of what God said my plan is for you, or it's out and out right outside of it. What Lot is going is I don't really want guaranteed what's part of what God's blessing is. I I want something on the edge or I, I want to play around on the outside of that and see how that works. This choice that he makes is one that is a very selfish look because you look at the statement here because we're going to find the statement again it says that he lifted up his eyes and then he looked on or beheld all the plain of jordan and he chose him that area there's no questions asked of god no hindrance on his part going oh well abram you're too gracious here no he is just simply looking and goes that's the best piece of land i want that over there regardless of where it's at i'm going to go that direction He makes his choice by just what he can see without any outside help from God or even godly counsel. Now, when you see the story go on later, Abraham's going to be a direct contrast to what Lot is like. Because after this whole story takes place, now we'll talk about what the consequences are here in a second, but verse 14, after Lot leaves, the Lord said unto Abraham, He said unto Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look, or behold, from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Same words. Lifting up of the eyes. Look around. That's what Lot did without any counsel from God. But Abram is here, and God says, Okay, I'm going to remind you of this. I want you to lift up your eyes, look around, and see the plan I have for you everything east west north south is yours and you find the response of abram uh here uh is one that god is saying this land is going to be yours this is why in verse 17 he says this arise walk through the land the length of it the breadth of it for i will give it unto thee this is like a king who's been given a deed to a new land and the king would walk through the land to see the boundary lines and see what's there god's simply saying to abram you go through this land and it's yours It's the one that I've promised to you. And Abram is a person who believes God. He sees God's plans through the eyes of faith. And when we get all said and done, where does he move to? He moves to a place right in the center, though it's in the southern part of the the, the region there. He moves to a place in the middle of the region called Hebron, and he sets up an altar to the Lord you go. why is he set up an altar to the lord because this is his god this is the god who's given in this land and he's going to proclaim his name and worship him wherever he goes he's going to lift up god for people to see it's not just about him it's about his it's about his god that he is one who is demonstrating a faith he waits for god's direction he waits for that and believes god and proclaims his name now, there are hints in this story that the choice that Lot makes, based on no help from God, is going to be a bad one. You read this in verse number 10, it says Lot lifted up his eyes, he looks at this area that's well watered, and it says this before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the author, if you didn't know anything about the story in chapter 19, you go, wait, he's moving to an area that's about to be destroyed? i wouldn't want to move there in fact if he had consulted with god god probably would have told him this don't go there but no consultation with god and then uh, you see this that lot when he goes out he journeyed east you see this in verse number 11 anybody reading this suddenly realizes "Ooh, that's not good because every other time to this point, as you read through Genesis 1 to this point, every time people went east, it was a symbol of God's judgment. You go, really? Okay, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and in Genesis chapter 3, they were moved out of the Garden, they were moved to the east of the Garden. When Cain is judged for his sin of murdering his brother, he goes East, away from and separating himself from god this is just kind of a, a phrase in this story the stories at this point going east is a sign of not going in a direction of being under the blessing of god but going away from it and then you have the statement at the bottom of verse 11 he separated him they separated themselves one for another what you have is a lot of separating him himself from the one whom god promised blessing to This one who God said, uh, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them and curseth thee and you shall be a blessing to all the nations. Lot is separating himself from this man. And then as you read along here, you find in verse number 13. That Lot doesn't doesn't merely go and live in this region where there's lots of green grass. No, he moves right by the cities. It says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. You go, if you're a herdsman, do you want to be right next to a large city? No, you want to be away from that. But Lot goes there and then makes the unreasonable choice as a herdsman that he's going to get as close as he can to Sodom and Gomorrah when, if as a herdsman, you'd want to be away so you could get land green grass but ultimately you see in verse number 13 that the author makes this statement the men of sodom were wicked and sinners before the lord exceedingly and when you find that in the old testament a verb that's like exceedingly or very hebrews didn't like the hebrew language doesn't like exceedingly great verbs like that or adverbs excuse me if they they put that word in there it's really really bad And so he just simply says, men are wicked, sinners before the Lord exceedingly. All these warning signs of what Lot is doing, it's not going to go well. And you go, well, what happened? It's because he made a choice without the help of God, though he is a follower of God, he is one who has a righteous standing before God, he does not follow God. You say, well, what's that like? I you know, I can't I can't believe that that someone would do this type of thing. Christians don't do those type of things. Do they? I want you to turn to a passage in James chapter four. James chapter four is a book written to Christians. And as you read through it, there are a lot of practical aspects that are just given throughout that book for Christians on how they ought to live their life. It's the the Proverbs of the New Testament. You go, Proverbs, uh, wise sayings uh, in the New Testament that we have uh, given that are short and easy to remember. But in James chapter 4, you have a situation that's kind of like one who makes plans without God. Verse number 13 of James chapter 4. There's this passage that says this, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now here's a person who's made plans. Now understand this, it's not that this passage is going to say that planning is bad. Having a plan is a bad thing. That's not the the issue of this passage, because verse 14, it says this, For whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. You can make plans, but there are some people who make plans and don't consider the fact that something else might play a role in this. Or we might put it this way, someone else plays a role in this. Because you see, in verse number 14, it says this For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now we rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. See what goes on here. This is a, I'm going to describe it this way. There are Christians who are practical atheists. See an atheist is a person who lives their life without God or they just simply say God doesn't play a role in this God doesn't have any part in this I really don't care about God Uh, there is no God or I don't care to know him or he doesn't play a role that's an atheist and for us we'd kind of go that's a horrible thing that a person's an atheist that they live life uh, and they live their whole life on the basis that God doesn't exist but this is a passage written to Christians And here you have a person acting as if God doesn't play a role in the decisions that we make. The planning's not bad, but what the plan was is it's without God. Okay? Lord, what would you have us to do? Okay? Lord, we're going to go this direction. And if it's something that you want us to do, great. If it doesn't work out, okay. We understand that you are the one who has a say in what goes on here. uh, And you have individuals that are christians saved individuals that many times make plans without a consideration of asking god about them considering that he has a say in these things and there's a lot of decisions in life that we make that are like what lot makes and it's a dangerous thing to go into life or decisions of life without considering god as a part of them I mean, decisions like what Lot makes. Your move. Okay? I'm going to move from one location to another. And I've known people who've made decisions like this where they have made a decisions on the basis of this. Oh, it's greener pasture over there. Okay, have you, have you even considered what God might want you to do in this? But it's greener pasture. Okay. Okay. Now I've known individuals that take a job and go somewhere and they know there's not a good church there and they're okay with it. Kind of going, well, wait a second. Part of your life is to be a part of a body of believers, to, to be a part of that and encourage that. And, and you're going there going, well, I really don't care. I'd rather have this, this green job here. And not green in the sense of climate change and that type of thing. A job that will earn me a lot or be good for me. There are a lot of decisions in life that we just simply go through life, and like Lot, we look up, look around, make our decision, and God has not even played a role in our decision making. And you say, Is that a dangerous thing? Lot's an example for you. It's a decision that ruined his family. I don't know if Lot was married at this point, but uh, I'm guessing uh, that, well, we know this, that his children were raised there. I don't know if he met a woman there and married her. I don't know, but we know about his wife. She's one who's turned into a pillar of salt because that city meant so much to her. Eventually, his daughters are ones who show that they live their life just like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. They're those type of individuals. The consequences were great. For us to make decisions in life like Lot will have serious consequences. You say, well, I'm not going to get you know, my city destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah if I make a decision like... But understand, every person who does this and doesn't consider God is putting themselves in a very difficult spot. See, with Abraham, it's different. I want you to turn over one or one cha- book before this to Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham's a direct contrast to Lot, how he lives his life. Now, he's not a perfect man, okay? We're not saying that Abram is a, you know, a paragon of sinless virtue. No, he sins. But for the most part, as you see the trajectory of his life, God is playing a role in his life. And we get to Hebrews chapter 11, and this is known as the hall of faith. People who see the invisible. You think about this, At uh, verse 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. A person who has faith in God is having confidence in things that they haven't seen yet. They haven't seen God yet. They haven't seen heaven yet. They make decisions on the basis of this. In fact, as you look at individuals who have faith, look verse number 6, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay, that, that's not an accidental phrase there. That they seek him. That sounds like a decision-making word. And these individuals that have faith and are in the hall of faith are in general individuals that believe God exists and he plays a role in my life and that he plays a role that I ought to be seeking what he wants. The directions and choices he would have me to make. The things he would want me to do. For Abram, who is the lengthiest uh, individual as far as his story in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it's normally about the land. It's either about the land or his children. But look at verse number 8, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. Or we would say tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God." He wasn't just merely looking for an earthly city to live in. What is he looking for? One day, everything's going to end up this, that I'm going to be living in a heavenly city. This God that I'm following now and living in, he is one who, well, one day has a city prepared for me. And you look at this, you find in verse number 13, it says this, these all died in faith, Abraham and his descendants not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded by them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity returned. return. But verse 16, but they desired a better country that is in the heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared them a city." You see, Abraham, he's living this life knowing that he's going to not just merely be in this life, but there's a life to come. That one day he's going to be with God, and so what he does is he lives his life here, consulting that God who he's going to one day be face to face with and proclaims his name and makes decisions on the basis of where that God wants him to be at, knowing that this is not his permanent residency, not his permanent place, but he's got a place somewhere else a heavenly city, a heavenly place. He was not and there are times where abram made decisions much like lot did we're going to have a couple of those stories and god in his grace protected him just as god protected lot and brought him out of sodom he's going to do that for abram but what abram throughout is going to be pretty much a testimony of just faith in god and things not seen not yet completely understood but he trusts god and believes god and god has a part in all of his decision making could that be said about you? That you're the type of individual that yes, you are making decisions in this life, but it's not without consulting God. Looking at his word to make some of these decisions to help you out and just get direction and settlement and uh, settle that way to pray to him and ask for help, guidance, and then go forward going, I think this is something that God would be good with. And if the Lord changes it, great, we'll go with that. But we ought to live our life that way because we're living life here as, well, individuals who are one day going to be right in the presence of God. Though we've never seen that city, we've never seen God himself, a person of faith sees with eyes where God declares these things to be true and they follow after it and they live their life as if God really does exist and he has a right to, to everything we do, to have a say in it, because he's the God with one with the one who, with whom we will one day stand before. Amen. So what are you like? Are you like Lot? Did you make some decisions this week and they were some major decisions, but didn't even bother to pray about it? Look at God's word, consider him. Or have there been things here, even recently in your life, where you're just simply saying, God, this is a decision that I need to make. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your direction. And though I don't know know you in the sense of having seen you, but I know you exist, uh, and I know that one day I'll be with you in a place called heaven, Lord, help me now as I make my decisions. Abraham serves as an example for us. He's called the father of those that are of the faith uh, as you look through the Scriptures. And so, could you say that you are abraham or you like lot the difference is great the end results are not what you want if you follow after lot but for the follower of god you think about this this life you'll be secure and you're secure for the life to come follow your god see with eyes of faith and follow his plan lord we thank you you are a great God. Great in the sense that you've given us a hope beyond this life. Lord, may we uh, consider you as we make plans, have directions uh, in our life and, and uh, decisions we have to make, whether it be about a job, church, uh, where we're going to live, uh, education. There are so many decisions that we could make and just make it on the basis of going, this, this seems to be the best choice from a human standpoint and it may be the best choice but lord give us the faith to go to you ask for your help seek for guidance and follow your plan and lord one day we will rejoice as we get to glory, and we see the number of times as you've guided us uh, throughout life what you kept us from. And perhaps we'll see some of the things that we could have had if we just simply followed you. But whatever the case is, we can at least rejoice that you are a God that in the end, because we've had faith in your Son, will bring us into your presence to be with you forever. So thank you, God, for being A God who cares, who is involved, and wants us to look to you in eyes of faith. We praise you in the name of your Son. Amen.